All right, and now for the sermon today, we have our elder, Steve Andrews, title of the sermon, Who Has Believed Our Report? For the last few years, I felt compelled to read a nearly 2,700-year-old prophecy during the, feast, during the Passover service. And I've always felt that it is so appropriate for the Passover service, and yet, because the, of the service and its shortness, there's not enough time to really delve into this particular prophecy and to look at the significance that it has for each and every one of us as we come upon that day, that Passover evening in which we come before God and we take those emblems once again, once again, to renew that covenant, to renew that covenant and to believe. That's what it says. Isaiah 53, verse 1, the very first sentence is a question, and a profound question that needs to be answered. Who has believed our report? And of course, the word report can also mean message. Who out there has, re who has believed the message that has been given? There's a few in this room that believe it and will be there on that night to observe the most important time for those who have been baptized on a yearly basis. Paul said that we are to examine ourselves as we heard in our first message and it is important for us to keep on keeping on that we do examine ourselves. But we have to have a standard in which we examine ourselves against. As we have, it says we shouldn't examine ourselves against one another. That's not a good thing. But we can examine ourselves against the one who came and sacrificed his life. In Ephesians, the fourth chapter, it makes a very, Paul makes a very important statement after telling us that there's pastors, there's teachers, there's apostles, and different ones that have been chosen to bring the message, he says in Ephesians, the, the fourth chapter, verse 13, it's so that, for the, well, verse 12, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, so that until we all come into the unity of faith, and in the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, in other words, a mature person, that's what our life is all about, coming to maturity, to a, a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Each and every one of us, as we come and approach the Passover time, have a standard to look to. And that standard is Jesus Christ. 
It's a high standard, isn't it? Jesus lived a perfect life on this, on this earth. In John, the 12th chapter, this prophecy was actually quoted beginning in verse 27 and reading a few verses here today. Now today, it will be a lot of reading of the scriptures because to get the, the whole message out, the understanding of how important the Passover service is, it does take some reading of God's word to be inculcated with inside of our own personal being. Jesus says, now is my soul troubled in verse 27. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I to this hour. It's important to understand Jesus' whole life was lived that he might come to that time in which he was sacrificed for each and every one of us. Father, glorify your name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. And the people, therefore, that stood by heard it and said it thundered. Others said an angel spoke to him. And Jesus answered and said, This voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. Now is judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to me. That's a promise that Jesus made to his disciples and to those that were around him, that he would draw men to him. This, he said, signifying the death he should die. The people answered him, We have heard out of the law that Christ abides forever. And how say you, the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? And Jesus said to them, Yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while you have the light lest darkness come upon you. For he that walks in darkness knows not where he goes. While you have light, believe in the light that you may be the children of the light. These things spoke Jesus and departed and did hide himself from them. But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him. You remember the readings of those things that happened to the children of Israel coming out of Egypt, living in the wilderness, and all the miracles, all the miracles that were done. And they believed not those miracles. And the same thing happened to Jesus. He healed. He reached out to people. Miracle after miracle, he raised the dead. They said, Lazarus stinks. And he raised him up out of the dead. That the saying of Isaiah, and this is the prophecy, the saying of Isaiah the prophet may be fulfilled, which he spoke, Lord, who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, because that Isaiah said again, He has blinded their eyes, hardened their heart, that they should not see with their eyes, nor understand with their heart, and be converted, and I should heal them. These things said Isaiah when he saw his glory and spoke of him. 700 years, 700 some years 
before Christ walked on the earth, the prophecy from Isaiah was written. And we know that they had the Isaiah prophecies because Jesus stood up and read from Isaiah. And surely they could see through the miracles, through the kindness, through the mercy of Jesus Christ. And they rejected him anyway. Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also, many believed on him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Jesus made some statements here. Jesus cried and said, He that believes on me, believes on, not on me, but on him that sent me. These words from Jesus Christ, as he was talking to them before the, that Passover service, and many words that he gave in that Passover service are for you and I, and for our strengthening, for our benefit. I am come a light into the world, that whosoever believes on me should not abide in darkness. And if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not, for I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. He that rejects me and receives not my words has one that judges him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which has sent me. He gave me a commandment that I should say and what I should speak, and I know that his commandment is life everlasting. Whosoever Whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father said to me, so I speak. Let's turn now to Isaiah, the 53rd chapter. It's kind of funny, I didn't even have that little thing in there, and I just went right to Isaiah 53. It's like I've got it set right there. Who has believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? It's an interesting statement as you go back and you look. There's some, some verses in there about the arm of the Lord, the strong arm of the Lord, as he gathers people around and uses that strong arm to help us to understand some important thing, some important message. And this is a, a, a very, very important message, as I said, that was given 700 years before Jesus Christ came. In verse 2, For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of the dry ground. He has no form nor comeliness, and we will, when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we shall desire him. In Isaiah the 11th chapter, and if you, <clears throat> they've called uh, Isaiah probably the first gospel because of all the prophecies in Isaiah about our Savior and about his first coming, and about his second coming, and about the kingdom of God being set up on the earth. But in Isaiah, the 11th chapter, it says, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him in the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, and the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And it shall make him a quick understanding, and the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge after his sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor 
and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod, future, but also with his mouth, he, those words, when he was walking on the earth, remember it. There were many that were offended because of what he said. He smited them with the words of his mouth. And they were offended. And they were afraid of him because they were afraid that he was going to set up the kingdom at that time. But he also will come with a rod of iron to rule this earth. He will smite the earth with the rod of his, uh, uh, with, uh, with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips, and he will slay the wicked. And righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. And I'd say that that was what Jesus was. He lived that. Let's turn to John, the first chapter. We'll see also some other things about Jesus. Actually, let's turn to Luke 2, 52 first. Luke 2, 52. You know the story. This Passover, his parents went up to Jerusalem. And when they got in the caravan to go home, he wasn't there. <laughs> and it's interesting that they came back and they says, what are you doing? And Jesus said, how is it that you sought me? Know you not that I must be about my father's business? And they understood not the saying which he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these sayings to her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature in favor with God and man. Those were two of the characters of Jesus Christ. He was increased in wisdom and stature in favor with God and men. It's very interesting. I was... Um, YouTube has a lot of interesting stuff on it. And uh, some of it isn't worth watching, but some of it is very, very profound. And there is a young, I don't know whether she's German or whatever, but, and I can't remember her name exactly. I think her last name is Fisher. And she is an unbelievable virtuoso when it comes to the piano and she, and I listened to her piano first, and she was playing this Griggs uh, concerto or something with the, with the orchestra, no music. She didn't have any sheet music in front of her. And it was just like she, every note, she knew exactly what was going on. But from the age of four years old, her mother gave her her violin, and she is a virtuoso on the violin. She is, in fact, she's won many awards just on the violin, but I thought it was amazing to listen to her play the piano. And she had an interview, and there was something very profound that was said in that, that every minute of her, of her life, she is thinking of music. Music, she lays down, and music is in her head. She says she's taking a shower, and music is in her head. I got to thinking about Jesus. From, the, from whenever the Word of God was in him. He lived it. He breathed it. He preached it. He taught it. It was him. 
That's the way that the Bible shows us that Jesus brought the word to this earth, taught it to whoever would listen. And we have it today, that we can read it, the words of Jesus and the commandments of God, and all of it is right here in this book. One more. Back to John. Two characters that I wanted to point out, of course, wisdom, stature, and favor with God and men. And John, if I can get over there, the first chapter, and just one verse, many things, but I just wanted to point out a couple of things here. In his youth and as he was growing up, and the, the character that was Jesus Christ, in verse 11. Well, I think that's... Uh, I wrote it down wrong. I know I did. Verse 16. I meant verse 16. And of his faithfulness have all we received and grace... Uh, let's see. No, wait, that's not exactly... Okay, here it is. Verse 14. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory and the glory of his only begotten of the Father full of grace and truth, full of grace and truth. That was another characteristic of Jesus Christ. Many characteristics, but I just wanted to point out those. And then let's turn to Luke, the fourth chapter, Luke 4, beginning of verse 16. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, and remember, as you're listening to the words and the things, remember what Jesus was doing. As his custom was, we are to follow the example of Jesus Christ. Not the example of those in the world. They can lead us astray. If we read the Bible and we see what it says, he kept the Sabbath. That was his modus operandi every week. He was preparing himself to come to the Sabbath. And he stood up and read, and he taught on the Sabbath day. And there was delivered to him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place that was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are, that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, and he gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all of them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say to them, This day the scripture is fulfilled in your ears. This day this scripture is fulfilled. And all bore him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is not this the son, Joseph's son? And he said to them, You will surely say to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. And he said, Verily I say unto you, No prophet is accepted in his own country. It's interesting. You would, see, you, would, you would think that they would receive him, but they did not. But I tell you the truth, 
Many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months when a great famine was throughout the land. But of none of them was Elijah sent, save to uh, Sarepta, a city of Sidon, to a woman that was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them cleansed, saying, uh, saving Naaman the Syrian. And all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath, and rose up and thrust him out of the city and led him to the brow of the hill wherein the city was built, that he might they might cast him headlong. But he was passing through the midst of him and went his way. Remember, it says there's, there was nothing special about him. He didn't have a halo. He didn't have long hair. He looked just like the Jews of his day. And in fact, he probably looked like many of the men that were trying to kill him. And so he was able to very quickly pass through them and get away from them. And then he came down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and taught them on the Sabbath day. Jesus' habits. Continuing. Let's go back to Isaiah 53 as we look at some more scriptures here. It says he's despised and rejected of men, verse 3. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. We know that when he was on the earth, doing all those miracles, there were many who wanted to see him dead. Let's turn to Matthew, the eighth chapter. They did not like what he was doing. They were conspiring for his demise. Beginning in verse 14. And when Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother laid and sick of fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her. She rose and ministered to them. When the evening was come, they brought to him many that were possessed with devils, cast out the spirits with his word, and healed all that were sick. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of Isaiah the prophet, saying, saying, himself took our infirmities, bore our sicknesses. Now when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave commandment to depart to the other side. And so, you know, many different things. It would take a very long time to go through all of the things that, that Jesus did while he was here on the earth. As it says, they're probably the Library of Congress probably couldn't hold all the books, all the different things from the time that he was a young person to the time that he was put on the stake. On John the 11th chapter, beginning in verse uh, 44. This is about Lazarus and the resurrection, what he had done. And I, I'm not going to read all of it. He was, and he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot from the grave, Close, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saying to them, Loosen him and let him go. He just raised Lazarus. Four days. He was truly dead. The miracle happened. The many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on him. But some of them 
Well, see the conspiracy that was beginning to, to, to arise uh, just before he was taken. But many of them, but some of them went their ways to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. Then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council and said, What do we? For this man does many miracles. If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him, and the Romans shall come and take away both our place and nation. And one of them called Caiaphas, being a high priest that same year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and that the whole nation perish not. And this spoke he not of himself, but being the high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for the nation. And not for that nation only, but that, but that also he should gather together in one, the children of God that were scattered abroad. Then from that day forth, they took counsel together for to put him to death. They thought it was their duty to take care of Jesus. Jesus therefore walked no more openly among the Jews, but went from there to a country near to the wilderness into a city called Ephraim, and there continued with his disciples. And the Jews' Passover was near at hand, and many went out of the country into Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. Then they sought that they might, uh, then they sought for Jesus and spoke among themselves as they stood in the temple. What do you think you that he will not come to the feast? Now both the chief priests and the Pharisees have given a commandment that if any man knew where he were, he should show it that they might take him. And we know that Judas Iscariot betrayed him on that night with a kiss. Let's go back to Isaiah, the 53rd chapter. As we see those last final hours of Jesus on this earth, we won't go through John tonight, or this afternoon, as that's what we will pick up on our Passover service. But we will talk about, and I, will, I would like to talk about those things that happened to Jesus as he, um, his final hours and his crucifixion. It says here in verses 5 through 9, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was, peace was upon him, and, his, and with his stripes we are healed. All we are like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one of his own way, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of all. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he, not, he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is done, he opens not his mouth. He was taken from the prison and from judgment. Who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. For our transgressions was he stricken. It's a personal thing, brethren. Very personal thing. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he, has done, he, had, he had done no violence, neither was there any deceit in his mouth. So let's turn now to Matthew, the 26th chapter, and the 27th chapter, as we look at those final hours. To get the fullest understanding of what happened in those hours, you would have to take all the, the Gospels 
and put them together, which you can do. There are uh, tools out there that will put those gospel messages together in their order to see how the, each one of those gospels give us an understanding of those last hours of Jesus Christ upon the earth. But I picked Matthew to bring that to you, and uh, let's read those scriptures here as we prepare ourselves for that Passover. The sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for you and I, for each of us. Beginning in verse 59, we'll skip some things. Now the chief priests and elders and all the council sought false witness against Jesus to put him to death. We know that Judas Iscariot had already um, betrayed him with a kiss, and they took him into custody. Now they tried to find some witnesses, false witnesses, so they could truly put him to death. But they found none. Yea, though many false witnesses came, yet found they none. At the last came two false witnesses. And they said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it three days. Well, the high priest arose and said to him, Another answer you nothing. What is it, these witnesses, against you? But Jesus held his peace. Remember in that prophecy, he came before them as a lamb before the slaughter, and he didn't say anything. Unless he was adjured, and we see that in some of the things that we, we'll read here in a little bit. He held his peace, and the high priest answered and said to him, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said unto him, You have said, Nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter, shall you see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of the power and coming in the clouds of heaven. And the high priest rent his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need have we of witnesses? Behold, now you have heard his blasphemy. What think you? They answered and said, He is guilty of death. Then did they spit in his face, buffeted him, and others smote him with their palms of their hands, saying, Prophesy to us, you Christ. Who is it that smote you? Now Peter sat outside in the palace, and a damsel came to him and saying, You also with Jesus of Galilee. And we know Jesus that in the end he denied Christ three times. All of his disciples scattered away from him. And we find at the end that only the women were around him. You know, they didn't fear the, the, uh, the women that were taking care of him and, and had been with him for, for a while. They didn't fear them. And so those ladies were there. But all the men scattered. There was no one there. They, were, they, they left him, and he was alone. When the morning was come, all the chief priests and elders and the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. Verse 1 of, verse, of chapter 27. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate the governor. Then Judas, which has betrayed him when he saw that he was uh, condemned, rented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priest. Well, they didn't want to have anything to do with it, but he threw them at their feet, and so they used it to buy 
the potter's field in which Jesus, I mean, which uh, uh, Judas was put in. Verse 11, And Jesus stood before the governor, and the, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said to him, You say. And when he was accused of the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Then said Pilate to him, Hear you now how many things they witness against you. And he answered him uh, to never a word, insomuch that the governor marveled greatly. Now at the feast, the governor was wont to release to the people a prisoner whom they, they would. And they had a notable, and that's a notorious, by the way, prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom will you that I release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. And when we sat down at the judgment seat, his wife sent to him, saying, have you nothing to do with that just man? For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. There was no going back. There was no changing. Remember Jesus cried that night before they took him, before he was betrayed, that that cup would be taken away. Cried with great compassion and blood and just, you know, tears of just wanting that to be taken away. But he said, your will be done, Father. This prophecy had been written 700 years before about Christ's sacrifice. He knew that he had come for this very thing. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall gathered him to the whole band of soldiers. They stripped him and put on a scarlet robe. And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it up on his head and, they, and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They spit upon him and took the reed and smote him on the head. After that, they had mocked him. They took the robe off of him and put his own garment on him and led him a way to be crucified. And remember somewhere in here also that Pilate um, uh, scourged him, and I missed some of that, but he did scourge him and that was a tor horrible, horrible um, thing to be done. It, was, uh, it would rip the very flesh right off of your bones. And, then, and, the, and the book of Psalms says that he could see his very bones but he was still alive. All of this torture, all of the things they did to him. Yeah, in fact, I missed uh, quite a fit. We'll, we'll pick it up here. And we'll pick it up here. I, and after they had beaten him and, and done those things to him and they had mocked him, and they came out, they found a man Cyrene, Simon by name, him they compelled to bear his cross. And then when they were come to the place called Golgotha, that is to say, a place of the skull, they gave him vinegar to drink, mingled with gall, and we had tasted thereof, he would not drink. That was a thing that it would actually make it easier, you know, to die, but he refused. And they crucified him. And that was a horrible thing also. 
They didn't die quite right away. They arrived in, in pain and agony for many hours after they had nailed their hands and feet to a stake with just a little bit of a place to rest on. It wasn't much. And as they got weaker and weaker, you know, it would tear their hands and arms. And it just was, was terrible what they would do. The, the word crucify just doesn't have as deep a meaning as it was at the time. It was so bad. They crucified him, parted his garments, so they stripped him naked, put him up on that stake, and then took it and cast lots that it might be fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him there. Now, that must have been awfully cruel, too, for them to sit and watch a dying man, knowing that he was on his last hours. They said over his head, his accusation written, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. And we know that it was written in three languages so that no one would fail to notice. And there were two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and one on the other. Remember the prophecy that he was also crucified, that he was killed with the thieves, with the wicked. And they passed by and they that and they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads, and saying, You that destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests mocking him with scribes and elders said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross. And we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now, if he will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. The thieves also which were crucified with him cast the same in his teeth. In other words, they, they didn't believe. In the ninth hour, Jesus cried and with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lamna sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of them that stood there when they heard that said, This man calls for Elijah. And immediately one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it to reed and gave him to drink. And the rest said, Let it be. Let us see whether G Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the spirit. And behold, and behold, the veil of the temple was rent in two from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake and the rocks rent. And graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose, and came out of the graves after his resurrection, and went into the holy city, and appeared to many. And now when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this is the Son of God. And many women were there before, uh, were there beholding afar off, which followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him. Among them was Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, Joseph, and mother of Zebedee's children. Uh, of Zebedee's children, a lot of Marys back then. And when the evening was come, there came a rich man of Arimathea, named Joseph, who also, uh, who also himself was Jesus' disciple. 
He went to Pilate and begged the body of Jesus. And, the body, and then Pilate commanded that the body be delivered. And Joseph took the body, wrapped him in clean linen cloth, and laid, it, laid him in his new tomb, which he had hewn out of the rock. And he rolled a great stone of the door in the sepulcher and departed. And it's interesting, the prophecy that we just read in Isaiah. The two things that we, we see here. <clears throat> in verse 9, he made his grave with the wicked. So there he was between the, the, the thieves on, on the stake. And he died between them. And with the rich in his death, because he has done no violence. Now, they say that Joseph of Arimathea was a very rich man and may have been very, very acquainted with Jesus, maybe even from his youth. You know, there's a lot of stories about Joseph of Arimathea. But that he was buried in that sepulcher that Joseph had set aside for himself. He had done no violence, neither was there any deceit in his mouth. And so we, we know all of those details that horrible death that Jesus went through. Do we believe? It's the question that was asked. Who has believed our report? Do we believe the things that we read in these scriptures? Nearly 2,700 years ago that prophecy was given. Almost 2,000 years ago Jesus died for our sins. The Corinthians had gathered together in 1 Corinthians, the fifth chapter. And Paul was a little upset with them about how they were, how they were living their lives and what they were allowing to go on in their church. And he says in verse 6, Your glorying is not go good. Know you not that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? He says, Purge out therefore the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as you are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Understand the words of this scripture, and understand what Paul is saying. Even though there was an Old Testament Passover, Jesus has taught us that there is new emblems and a new way of keeping the Passover. And he says in John, the sixth chapter, that we, if we don't accept those emblems, we don't have a part in him. He's given us those three emblems, those three things to, to, to do on that night. The foot washing, which he did with his disciples, including that one that betrayed him. Including that one that betrayed him. And the wine and the bread, symbolizing his shed blood and his broken body. And he said, do these in remembrance of me. Just one quick turn to, we won't read very much of this because we read it very many times on that night, which is coming up Sunday evening, right at sundown. He says, in verses 24 and 25 of 1 Corinthians, the 11th chapter, this do in remembrance of me. This do in remembrance of me. 
So that's what the Passover service is all about. It's a memorial service of the death of Jesus Christ. Accepting the emblems and those things which he has set aside for us on a yearly basis. We don't do it once a year. On that Passover time, as we have come to understand, the Passover is what symbolizes the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, which is a Passover over, you know, it's, it means so much. It's a covenant relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. Our sins and those things that we know that we have in our life that we have to examine ourselves, but we know when we come back out of that, that God has renewed His covenant with us. We have a fresh start again for another year. All of these things, Jesus God the Father set up that we might come to understand Him better. Come to that realization of the sacrifice that He made. That's why that we believe that we should keep it on a solemn, as a solemn assembly. Really just one time of the year we come together to remember that death for our own sakes. He said this do in remembrance of Him. Just a couple more scriptures here in Isaiah 53. Actually, three more. Verse 10. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. Well, that's hard to understand, isn't it? But if we look at the large, big, overall picture, the importance of all those sons that are going to come into the kingdom, and Jesus and the Father are still working to bring many sons into the kingdom of God. And they will continue to bring them when Christ returns. And this will be taught throughout the generations. So it, it was a, a plan to bruise him. He has put him to grief when you shall make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. The pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied by his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Isn't that interesting? Through Christ's sacrifice, many iniquities are born by Christ, and they're done away as far as the east is the west. And yet, we still have to ask God for repentance and for forgiveness. We have a long ways to go to come to the stature and the fullness of Jesus Christ. He said, therefore, prophetically, looking into the future. And it's wonderful that the Isaiah, the 53rd chapter, is so prophetic in, in all that it says about what would come about through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, but also in the last verse, what is going to come about in the kingdom of God. He says, Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great. He shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he was poor, he has poured out his soul to death. And he, he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Because of Jesus' sacrifice, so many are saved because of his sacrifice. Christ's sacrifice was our Passover, brethren. Personal, our Passover. I want to ask at the end of this message, 
do we believe this report? 